Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Shame 
Shabbos, Shabbos, 
JM in the AM. Simcha Liner with Mivon Siach. You heard Aisham Yaakov Shweki. Sheves Achim had Lashana Haba. Yismachu Shlomo Katz. And boy, I saw the schedule online of what Shlomo Katz is doing over Shabbos in LA. Very lucky congregation out there, boy. An amazing Shabbos beginning with pre Shabbos Kumzitz this afternoon in Los Angeles at the Happy Minion. And then tomorrow night, a great concert as well. Leif Tahar with Anim Zmirot, Yom Zed, done by Miami Mizrach, Vehu Yashmienu, brand new from Yehuda Green, and of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. It's Friday on this February the 15th, the 10th of Adar 1, Erev Shabbos Parshas Tetzave, with candle lighting time at 5.10 in the New York area, 5.10 in New York for your candle lighting time. Monday is President's Day, Tuesday is Purim Katan. What are we going to do for Tuesday? I don't know. We'll try to think of something. 45 degrees outside with 81% humidity. Winds of south at 6 miles an hour. Cloudy today with a high of 54. Then tonight, cloudy and a low 34. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high 44 degrees. Yushalayim's at 48. We're at 45 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Plenty coming up. Malcolm Holmline an hour from now with the weekly update. Rabbi Yudin, of course, coming up later in the uh, in the show with the Torah portion of the week. It's Friday, big day here at JM and the AM and the Nachum Single Network. Keep it right here with Baruch Levine.
Jesus our King, He reigns supreme, our heavenly King forevermore. Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimloch, Liyolam Ba'el. Bala, vaya, lila. 
Oh, 
J.M. in the A.M. That is one nice music set. Huh? Mordechai Shapiro with Hayom. You heard Shabbatot done by Yitzchak Fuchs. Yaakov Shweki and Kamu Baneha. Hashem Melech. That was Gershon Veroba. Itzik Dadya had Bowie. Adon Alum done by Sandy Shmueli. Baruch Levine with Shalom Rav to open up that set. Friday morning, it's Erev Shabbos Parshas Tetzava with candlelighting time at 5.10 on this Erev Shabbos. I want to acknowledge the beautiful and wonderful donation from uh, B and Ralph Rosenbaum, who have uh, donated a $1,000 donation to JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network through the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. And the Rosenbaums down in East Brunswick, they, they did this with the following message. They wanted to send a contribution in honor of what we do here, bringing the Jewish community closer together through this program and this network. But in light of the uh, death of B's mom this past week, we are altering the donation a drop from in honor of, meaning in honor of the work here, to the memory of Eva Friedfertig, an Aceous Heil who represented the goodness of all our mothers. She will be sorely missed. And that I know is in fact the case. Spoke with B last week as she was as she was sitting Shiva. And we take this opportunity to extend our uh, our only our positive and good wishes to uh, to B and Ralph and their entire extended family down in East Brunswick and beyond. And uh, I thank them, and everybody here thanks them for their generosity and for supporting us and for keeping us going and for giving us an incredible boost of confidence and uh, and spirit in terms of what we do here on a daily basis at the Nahum Siegel Network. So a big thank you and a Shabbat Shalom to B and Ralph Rosenbaum and their entire family from all of us here at JM in the AM. Friday morning broadcast on this era of Shabbos, candlelighting in New York at 510. Monday's President's Day, we will be here. Tuesday is Purim Katan, and we will be here. Yeah, we are here. It seems we're always here, Baruch Hashem. Big night, <clears throat> excuse me, big night last night up at Yeshiva University. 17 in a row for the Maccabees, a massive victory, a 40-point victory. Uh, last night at the Max Stern Athletic Center, an amazing performance. The team is doing Incredibly, Baruch Hashem Ein Hara. Tomorrow night, you're all invited. It's a key game, a real key game against Farmingdale. Tomorrow night, beginning at 8.30 up at the Max Stern Athletic Center. It is senior night. So to all the seniors, we wish them the very best. I believe three seniors are graduating and moving on from the team. So tomorrow night is senior night. And um, 
And uh, everyone should be there by 8.30 tomorrow evening up at the Max Stern Athletic Center for a key game for a team that has won 17 in a row and is enjoying one of the few winning streaks, current winning streaks in this country among all college basketball teams that are 17 uh, games in a row or more. I, I believe only two teams have longer current streaks. I'll have to check with my expert, Gavriel Siegel, who knows for sure. But uh, what they're doing up at YU, the Maccabees, what they're doing on the court and off the court, as I always point out, is simply remarkable. So again, tomorrow night, and there's a game Monday night, right? President's Day Monday night. And of course, we are encouraging everybody to be there 12 noon Friday, one week from today, up in Washington Heights for the Skyline Conference semifinal playoff game. I have been encouraged by more than one fan and, and loyal listener of this show to encourage, yeah, I have been encouraged to encourage all the Yeshiva High School principals to give their students off next Friday so they can come up to the game and support Yeshiva University. Now, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to actually uh, start a campaign, although by th- by this time next week I may. Uh, I don't want to start a campaign at this time, uh, you know, demanding that or strongly suggesting it. But what a great idea. What a great idea if everybody out there, kids and adults, would be able to find a way to spend 12 noon next Friday up at up at YU supporting the amazing and incredible Yeshiva University Maccabees. And, uh, w- and we must give a massive shout-out to somebody in Yeshiva University basketball that has also made a mark, literally a mark, a record, an incredible record. Last night, senior forward Michal Algi of uh, Boston, Massachusetts, from the Maimonides School, um, broke the university women's basketball all-time scoring record with a career total of 1,141 points to date. Michal has enjoyed a history-making season, becoming the first player in program history to enter the 1,000-point, 1,000-rebound club and broke Daniela Epstein's scoring mark set in 2003. She was also named to the Skyline Conference Weekly Honor Roll four times, once in November, twice in December, and once in in January. So Michal, congratulations to you and um and to all the lady Maccabees um who are also having a wonderful season. And uh and we as fans are just uh, enjoying watching all of this take place and uh, watching everybody around the country fearing fearing going up against YU. <laughs> on the court, on the court. Friday morning broadcast. It's JM and the AM at 21 minutes after 7 o'clock. Malcolm Honeline at 740 with the weekly update and plenty more. Keep it here at JM in the AM.
Let's go, boy. 
J.M. in the A.M. with Derek Achim. Lachad Odi. Shalom Aleichem is from Benny Friedman. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with candlelighting in New York at 510. Legal holiday Monday, but we will be here. Don't worry, those of you outside the United States, you'll have your regular J.M. in the A.M. on Monday morning. That's right. You'll be rewarded for making sure to tune in like you do every single day. Tuesday is Purim Cut on. What are we doing for it? Not sure yet. Had a couple of ideas. Uh, we'll see if any of them work out. I want to thank those who are commenting on the app who've been checking in with us so far this morning. Trucker Yitz says, good era of Shabbos. We'll be listening as I get ready to go to shul, but I'll miss lots of this show. Thanks for being on, even if the listeners can't tune in the entire three hours. Don't forget, Yitz, we have an archive. A golden opportunity to tune in uh, at your convenience, on your schedule, whenever you wish. Keep that in mind. Our listener Devora says, wishing good luck to the Yad Binyamin Wolves as they play their first season game against Modian. We thank our tremendous coach, Boltax. I believe I have that pronounced properly. Coach Boltax, we're not only teaching the boys baseball, but sportsmanship and team spirit as well. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Devora. And the rabbi... Um, he says too far from Atlanta, but will be online. Does he mean the YU game? That could be last night. The crew at, uh, YU max live, or I should say max live to be more accurate, got a major compliment from somebody who was telling me how even more enhanced their broadcasts are. So those of you who are around the world and are not able to make it to the Max Stern athletic center, for instance, tomorrow night at eight 30 Eastern time, you could watch it max live. And join in on all the excitement as things are really revving up. There are two more regular season games. And next Friday, one week from today, 12 noon, Yeshiva University Maccabees in the Skyline Conference semifinals. So tomorrow night's a big game. Next Friday's an even bigger game. YU's won 17 in a row. Pretty amazing accomplishment as we continue to follow them very, very closely. Continued success and good luck to Coach Elliott Steinmetz and all the guys up at Yeshiva University. JM and the AM on a Friday morning. Don't forget Malcolm Honeline, less than 10 minutes away as we get set for the uh, weekly update. Lots going on, of course, to discuss. We'll do that coming up. Or by Uden is happening at uh, 8.15 with our Torah portion of the week. A reminder that Chazdei Soul to Soul presents 8th Day Yishai Lapidot and the reunion of Eif Simchas on Sunday, February 24th at the Master Theater on Brighton Beach Avenue in Brooklyn, starting at 7 p.m. Easiest way to get tickets, jewishtickets.com. Jewishtickets.com, check it out. Easiest way to get your tickets for the uh, the big concert on the 24th of February. Check out our community calendar online, nachomsegel.com slash community calendar. Lots of events up there, including the Soul to Soul concert, the Yeshivat Noam dinner, the Sharsheret casino night, the Kahal concert in Lawrence High School with Mordechai Shapiro, Shlaimi Dax, and Pumbadisa, it's all happening. If you check out the community calendar section of NahumSiegel.com, you'll be able to see all the different things that we speak about here on JM in the AM. All right, more coming up. Keep it right here, everybody. It's Friday. Lots going on, to say the least, as we continue with Shia Rubenstein at JM in the AM.
I saw Yankee Orlansky last week. I told him we've been playing the uh, You Did Them Choir Curry Bone and how amazing it is. Great song. Really amazing. Pedusha, that was uh, the uh, title track from Baruch Levine. You heard Lachadodi done by Shia Rubenstein. JM and AM, good morning, everybody. It's uh, it's my mistake. I thought uh, Malcolm Holmline was back in the U.S. He is Baruch Hashem still in Jerusalem <clears throat> with a whole bunch of important and cool stuff going on over the next few days. And for us, it's always extra special. We get to uh, speak with him while he's in Israel. And that's coming up in just a minute here at JM in the AM. I want to thank our friends at jewishworldreview.com, jewishworldreview.com. Check out thousands of articles to print out before Shabbos to read about Israel, <laughs> excuse me, and the Jewish world. And uh, I also want to remind you, speaking of uh, Malcolm Holmline, uh, you, get an, uh, you get an opportunity to spend Pesach with him in Puerto Vallarta. That's where he and his family will be this uh, upcoming Yom Tov, uh, just two months from now. Uh, check it out either online at PesachInVallarta.com, PesachInVallarta.com, or, <clears throat> excuse me, by dialing 786-290-5919, 786-290-5919. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us. Friday mornings at this time for the weekly update. Today, as we said, um, Malcolm Holmline is in Jerusalem uh, speaking to us uh, on this Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. Coming straight virtually from uh, just a little while ago from Kenya and Uganda, the, uh, Ethiopia, together with a delegation of our leadership, and we met with uh, the presidents, the leadership, the people in both countries fostering closer ties to Israel and the U.S. and uh, many, many opportunities and visiting the, benefiting from the Chabad presence. So we had kosher food everywhere and uh, a really amazing experience, uh, almost eye-opening. And Nachman, I just want to tell you, for all the times that we talk about the claims to Israel and to hear the president of Uganda turn to us and say, I met with the Iranian officials, and I told them, this is nonsense when you say the Jews don't belong there. They are the people who belong there. And he went through the whole history from Avram Avinu to, to current day, asking questions, but at the same time conveying messages, but said how much you know he identifies and um, really gets it about the right of Israel to exist and the right of Jews to be here. Um, they, they, uh, we talked about their UN voting patterns and other things, which has improved in many African countries to abstentions, including there. Um, and it, the the feeling towards Israel that we saw in Kenya and in in Uganda, walking around with the amicas on the streets without anybody batting an eye or anything but saying shalom or hello, Rabbi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, truly, we had short visits, but we packed every minute, as we will this week with our conference. As I just mentioned to you, we have the prime minister, the president, the head of all the major parties. Okay, now on the, okay, south and north. You, you have completely piqued my curiosity. So, first, first of all, my response usually is, I know you're never going to believe it, and this is a waste of time. But I'm really not a rabbi, and I, and I do find that reaction to be a complete waste of time. So, there, number one, and let's just get this out of the way because there's so many other things that might be more important to ask. Uh, 
So there is a Chabad in all three countries, Kenya, Uganda, and Ethiopia? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Now, even in the airport in Ethiopia, which is a major hub for Ethiopian Airways, which is one of the largest in Africa, we were walking, and all of a sudden we look and we see it says Beit Knesset. Wow. There's a room designated, and it says openly Beit Knesset. And when I walked in, there were maybe eight, nine people sitting there. Uh, a Chabad guy who was from South Africa who was just uh, transferring, and other people, Israelis and others, who who were in the airport. And uh, so, yes, there's Chabad in each uh, place. Okay, I'm going to try not to make this trip the one you were just on, the, the complete focus of this uh, interview, but there's so much I'd like to ask. And frankly, we do have to get to some of the things going on even in this country this week. Uh, first of all, does the leadership in Uganda, and I find it fascinating that the, that the leader of Uganda is the one telling about Jewish history, do, do they realize the role that Uganda has had in modern Jewish history? Aside from Entebbe, the, 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 how the word Uganda or the country name Uganda is so intertwined with the, uh, with the eventual vision of having a state of Israel? It, it, and being the alternative yeah. uh, offered, yeah. and he 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 raised it. He knew it, and he spoke he spoke about it, and he said it was a good thing you didn't choose uh, <laughs> this. <laughs> and it. and uh, <laughs> seriously, you pr- you probably agreed said, with him. I bet. <laughs> and he joked about them. Uh, he said, you know, they could be difficult neighbors. Joking, you know, that <laughs> there can think of the other place, but um, wow, no, he knows fully the history. And in the next question you're going to ask is, do they know about Entebbe? Right. So at the airport, there's an old airport where the Entebbe raid took place, where they held the hostages. There's a new terminal. Right. But the building where is kept as a shrine, where you see all the bullet holes, the place right next to where Yoni Netanyahu was, was shot, um, they keep uh, uh, things there from the time. But the building itself is, is a shrine. And people go to visit, and one of the airport employees came who was there at the time and described what was going on. And the uh, uh, and they talk very openly. They don't know, of course, describe it to Idi Amin's period right. and not the current regime. Um, but, it, but plain people talk about it also. I mean, it's really quite remarkable how, how significant it is seen to them and how significant the relationship with Israel, and I think keeping the shrine is... You know, it's not talked about with shame. They talk about the death of Dora Block as a tragedy and the death of Yoni. They know They know like those details? In every, I'm telling you, they they talk about it in the, that specifics. And There are people listening to this show who don't know those details. That's Unbelievable. true for sure. Unbelievable. Uh, and by the way, for the benefit of those listening, I want to remind everybody that the Prime Minister of Israel has been on that tarmac, Correct. The one that that is yes, a strong. He went to visit for the 40th anniversary, and mm-hmm. there are pictures. Uh, we came into the meet the president of the parliament, who is probably the second or third most powerful person in the country, and so she hosted us and had all the members of the committee from all over the country sitting there, and um, we turned around, and there were uh, there was bunting around the room, large of Israeli flags and Ugandan flags. In the parliament. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. And you, and you mentioned both Kenya and Ethiopia in addition to Uganda. It, it is hard for us to understand the situation 
for some Ethiopian Jews at this point. Now, I know over the last 10 days there have been reports about 100-some uh, being allowed to leave, move to Israel. Could you give us uh, a, a, a perspective on that specific news item uh, and what you discovered in Ethiopia? Well, first of all, I, I just want to say, Ethiopia, we transited, but we, there are uh. some of our people are there now, today, uh, but the the issue is very serious and it's one that they that people talk about uh, in Ethiopia um the J- Jewish community there's still great concern but a, a a a number of them came just about i think uh, 10 days ago when i was here um there was a group that arrived at the airport and um you know it's something that's still being addressed here but we also met in Uganda with uh a member of the parliament who identifies himself as a rabbi wears a yarmulke in the parliament. Wow! And yeah, I don't know how many parliaments in the world have that. And he's a leader of the Abu Daya community uh, who uh, identify as Jews. And they all came in, and men were wearing yarmulkes. They um, and talk about the Jewish practices in which they're engaged in history. It's not. I don't, it's not like the um, Ethiopian Jewish history. Right. It's more recent, but they, they there are there are other tribes. Uh, I think the Igbo and others were millions who claimed to be of Jewish descent. Unbelievable. Uh, so, so one might say, well, no, that wouldn't be fair, really, to the Ethiopian Jewish community. I was going to say it sounds like Uganda is the most Jewish of all these countries that you visited, but again, the community of Ethiopia is. Uh, is one that has a real presence. They may not have a yarmulke in parliament, but they have a a real presence in the country, right? They had. Well, don't forget, most of the communities out, and, right? Uh, but still, in Gondar, there are, and we met the, them, and many of them are relatives, and you know, it's, they have to ascertain who's Jewish, who's not Jewish. Right. But in Africa, certainly, the South African Jewish community and the leader of the community came to join us in Uganda when the Khan was the head of the board of deputies there and uh, joined us for while well, in both countries but they are the biggest jewish presence in in africa today and of course you have morocco and egypt are part of it but egypt has just a few jews and morocco still has uh, several thousand and a vibrant jewish community right. but south africa is is the most although diminished and facing challenges well well this is absolutely fascinating for, for those who are wondering why some of the things you spoke about politically this morning, i.e. moving from, you know, from no votes to abstentions, etc., for those wondering why it's taken this long, what would be the answer? Okay, so that's a, actually a very good question. And, and, um, and, and let me just say, when we made a decision where we go each year, right. you know, you remember last year we went to the United Arab Emirates, right. the year before Morocco, right. every year we pick a country where we believe we can make a difference in strengthening ties to Israel, strengthening ties to U.S., actually trilateral ties, and where we can communicate our message, our concerns, whether it's voting in the U.N., whether it's you know the role of Iran and Turkey, with all the issues that we raise and discuss, and they discuss very openly, as I said, the President, again, the two hours discussion. Right. Um, we, other lengthy means the Prime Minister of Kenya for, for an hour and a half, and really tough discussions, and not not hostile, but, you know, in-depth and taking on the issues and explaining to us the rationale of why sometimes they have to do things that we don't like, but their circumstances. And the reason was that before 
67 and 73, you know that they, they had relations with Israel. Golda initiated it, I think, in 1958 uh, when they began Mashab, the aid program, when Israel you know, hardly had enough food for itself, but they understood that they had to play a bigger role. Anyway, and, uh, you know, they all saw the pot of uh, oil at the end at the end of that rainbow right. and uh, did not materialize. And they all have come to realize that Israel has what they need, whether it's, you know, water purification reclamation, whether it's post-harvest reclamation, increasing agriculture. Uh, Uganda told us that they have dozens of students studying in Israel to learn agriculture and management and that we met at the airport a delegation of IDF who go to different countries and help train them um, in various uh, area aspects. Um, and so for many years, they followed the League of the Arab Union, uh, uh, Union of, of African Countries, rather, and the pressure of the Arab League there. Uh, I went to a meeting of the Arab League, uh, of the African Union in Equatorial Guinea at the invitation of the president, and eventually the Iranians and the Palestinians raised such hell that they wouldn't begin the meeting until we were excluded. Wow. Uh, but many of the countries, but, but before that, I had 13 meetings with heads of state the day before, and many of them came to apologize. And in fact, the American Assistant Secretary of State for Africa wasn't admitted either. Uh, so there are a lot of forces and pressures on them. Uh, Turkey and Iran are very active. And they resisted, and they say that Israel has what we need, and they want more contact. They want more contact with the U.S. They want to see their, uh, they want the economies to develop, and you know they they believe that the, the Jewish communities around the world can be very helpful to them. There are Jews active in business and other affairs there, and the uh, you know the uh, the attitude towards the Jews is, is very open. Uh, and they're saying now, look, we moved from voting against Israel to abstaining. And that for them is, is a big statement, he said, because we get a lot of pressure about it. I can imagine. We, of course, we, of course, counter-pressured and said, look, right. you got to, because eventually but these votes will end up hurting everyone. Because once you start having bias in the U.N. and you allow it to go on and, you know, you move in the right direction, but it's got to be much more. When I told them about the UNESCO vote, and there, as I said to you, the president talked about the biblical contact, but many of them are very religious Christians as well. And they were shocked. They did not know about the UNESCO votes changing the names in the holy places. And in one case, I won't say who ordered uh, the, the ministry, the foreign ministry, to look into it and to report to him. And he said, from now on, I want to be consulted on these uh, votes. Unbelievable. Uh, and, and I asked the question about why it took so long. The truth is that now, as you've explained it, if people understand, and now I do better, the context of history that you just outlined, in many ways one would say it's a miracle it took this short because they were so indoctrinated with what the Arab League and their neighbors had to say about Israel and what their role vis-a-vis Israel is. The other point— I, they, I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. Let me just say—I just want to say, because you raised it, this is very important, and I know it's not what people necessarily want to hear about, but I, people oh, have a, to understand yes, this yes, because yes. this is true in Asia, it's true in Africa, it's true in South America. And we have to do much more um, to enhance those those uh, uh, relationships. 
But I, I was just I forgot what I was going to say to you. you. What did you just say? Oh, before? I said that I I initially said it's a it's, it's incredible how slow it took. But when you think about it, it really you know when you think about the context of history and how they've been indoctrinated by their neighbors in the Arab League, it, it really is much faster than one would think because of uh, of everything of all the baggage. Oh, that that's to- what you reminded me. Right. So one of them, you know, when when the attack took place in in Kenya, remember the terrorist sure. attack two weeks ago, three weeks ago, sure. and I told them that we made a decision then that specifically because of the terrorist attack, we would not back out and we would come. Wow. And they gave us a standing ovation. Wow. Uh, the top leadership got up and they gave a standing ovation, the business community. And, you know, the very act of solidarity means so much. But they said to us, look at what the attack was for, because America moved its embassy to Jerusalem. He said, we know it's not because of that. But that tells you the kind of pressure and uh, that they try to exert. And, you know, they all face... Al-Shabaab, Boko Haram, all sorts of terrible groups because they're near Somalia. They have troops in Somalia fighting both countries, uh, uh, along with the U.S., and, and trying to stabilize the situation. They're impacted by Yemen, and which is just across the waterway from, from, uh, them, from Somalia. Uh, so we got to, you have to understand their perspective as well. Unbelievable. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, we're speaking about Malcolm and the conference of presidents. They are just back in Israel from Kenya, Uganda, and Ethiopia. And that's what led to this uh, initial conversation. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at com, on the Nahum Single Network. And of course, in the beloved NSN app. And those of you who are worried that you may have missed what you actually tuned in for. Don't worry, we're getting to it in a second. And I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Malcolm, one last point on this trip, though. Um, it, it would be unfair to say that you officially carry messages from Israel. Obviously, that would be unfair. But unofficially, you did describe, you know, you, you come with certain messages and certain suggestions and a and a desire to form relationships that will hopefully, uh, you know, be, be for the good of everybody in the long run. Do you do that for the U.S. as well? Do they look at you as not only an ambassador for Jewish or Israeli interests, but for United States interests as well? Uh, the answer is yes. And for what they want from the U.S., I mean, uh, we do not. I, I do consult with the White House State Department before we make the decision. Wow. And they, they intercede. They call these countries and notify them about the delegation and the importance they ascribe to our visits as they have in the past to the many places we've gone from Azerbaijan to Berlin to London to Kazakhstan and the UAE. So they are very supportive of it. This is citizen diplomacy, but we don't purport to speak for the government, either government. Right. We speak for an American Jewish constituency that's involved, that's interested. And when they see that we know what we're talking about, you know, leaders always test. The first part of the meeting is a test to see, do these people know what they're talking about? Are they the usual guys who just come, you know, and pontificate but don't really understand the issues? And if you show them the competence and you show them the, the knowledge of, of their issues as well, but then you, you have a basis in which you can advocate it in a, to a much more receptive uh, audience. Got it. So... We we try to communicate the, some of the concerns that you know whether it's Iran sanctions, let's say you know compliance with Iran sanctions, and or they fail to support the U.S. resolution about Hamas being a terrorist organization, uh, abstaining or and uh, you know so we talk about these issues and 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 extensively. Right, and 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 those they speak about who hate Israel, they all those hate the U.S. as well. Right, that's consistent. And many of them hate them as well, and they're concerned about radicalization. Right. And, um, you know, they have a lot to protect. They want tourism. 
and they know that Jews travel and that Jews can be helpful in getting the message out. And the, you know, both countries have amazing sites. We had a brief uh, trip, uh, game park trip in Kenya for a couple of hours early one morning. And uh, and although we were in each country less than 48 hours, they covered a lot, a lot of ground. Unbelievable. whole thing's incredible. Uh, we appreciate you sharing that with us. And, and there's another part to this trip, and that, as you alluded to earlier, is uh, really meeting with anybody and everybody involved in the world of Israel's politics. That's going to start, I guess, after Havdalah at some point and dominate the early part of next week. So we'll we'll hold that for a few minutes and, and ask you about what you anticipate in that regard and obviously go into detail, whatever you could tell us uh, during next week's conversation. But you, but you know what's going on here in the U.S., and I don't know how easy it is for you to understand the uh, you know, the, the, the emotion and the throes of this whole issue that has really been in the news and everybody's been focused on uh, over the last uh, almost one week. Representative Ilhan Omar, Democrat of Minnesota, ignited a fresh political firestorm on Sunday night accusing the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, APAC, of paying members of Congress to support Israel. Subsequent to that, Malcolm, you know there's been a quote-unquote apology. Uh, you know there's been a a disgraceful session with Elliot Abrams uh, on the Hill. Um, give me your take, even from thousands of miles away, about what's happening with this big news story. Well, obviously we follow it very closely, and I have talked to members of the leadership of the Democratic Party, to others in Congress. We've been urging them for a long time to confront this issue. We have been uh, working on it, uh, not just about Omar, but some of the general trends and and um, uh, the, the, her comments have nothing. Uh, I think go beyond anything we have discussed before right. uh, with them. That this is this is not anti-Israel comments, or you know, she said she was uh, against BDS during the campaign, and then immediately after her election comes out for it. Um, and she and others there who who are promoting these radical extremist uh, agendas, who identify not only with BDS but with with the uh, anti-Semites who, who appear with them, with different people. And she in particular, I mean, the apology certainly lost credibility with her, with her comments, using it for fundraising since then. And uh, and frankly, it can't, she said in the past, and some of them have said they didn't, uh, they don't understand why what they say is offensive to Jews, et cetera. There's no way you could not see, she could not understand why this was offensive. And it would not be tolerated in, in any other circumstance. But I think the, the onus here rests with the leadership of Congress. And the president came out very clearly on it. Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic leadership came out. We welcomed it, but also urged that there has to be some sanctions, some action. Uh, so she's a member of the Foreign Relations Committee. Elliot Engels, the chairman, uh, he issued a, a, a statement criticized attacking her. But I think that there has to be some uh, price, uh, that it can't be just dismissed, that she's, she's a novice and she doesn't know. There's a clear pattern here. And, you know, what, what I worry about is the appeal that this has to, to so many young people. Uh, the congresswoman in Queens uh, did a tweet about election electoral reform. Uh, asking questions of, of the chair and a committee, and it got 35 million retreats or tweets, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, I think she's the second most followed member of Congress, and um, and young people are being influenced by this 
they don't know, they don't understand it, but it's somebody who's standing up. You fight against the system. And, uh, I mean, the ideas that they have from socialism and many, many other subjects can be discussed, but um, they, they do appeal to, to, uh, to young people. And it has to be clear that this is, they cross the line. It is unacceptable. Um, each one should be addressed on the merits of what they say and what they do. I don't think we should lump people together, but I do think there has to be a collective effort. Stand with APEC and stand with the, the Christians who's, who advocate for Israel and, and the idea uh, about taking money. When one looks at her finances and you find out she took $5,000 from CARE, she yeah. took money from SARS, she took money from many others, and she's the one lecturing uh, the, how, how the one from Queens has rocketed to fame in, in these few short weeks is unbelievable. Uh, look, on, the media feeds it, unfortunately. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, but, no question. You no know, question. look at how they, they, every word, even if it's nonsensical, the words of any of these people that <laughs> show lack of experience, lack of depth of knowledge, and yet the media feeds it and feeds it and exploits it. And I will tell you that Democratic leaders are very concerned about it because they understand the price. And this not only alienates Jews, it will alienate some of their base support and take the party in, in very extremist measures. And of course, Bernie Sanders then rallies to the support and defends her after the president's comments. So that's why you have to deal with this strategically and smart, but consistently and tough. Uh, Elliot Engel has the power to throw her off the committee or not? Probably not. Wow. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a leadership appointment. Got it. And, leadership has to remove her. And the other thing is, and, and, and you mentioned Democratic leadership, but, it, but specifically... You expected more from the Speaker of the House in this case. Am I right? Like, I, I know that, that in general, Democratic leadership, and you reached out to them and, uh, you know, and expressed your concern. But I, 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 I would expect that the Speaker of the House would have, I guess we can't use the word censure, but certainly would have been tougher on her than she was. Is that fair to say? She could sanction her, and she could have taken, and I, I hope this is not over. I hope that, because uh, there's a pattern. This is not going to stop. Right. Omar's not going to stop. And and I think that we have to, uh, hopefully, that her constituents will be educated, will see this. All of these extremists who won, won in fluke elections, meaning that they won it, it, with a minority vote. Like in Queens, it was 10%. Um, and minorities didn't often vote for these candidates. In, in Tlaib's case, I think there were five African-American candidates, and so got the vote got divided up or diluted it. So, you know, you have to look at the circumstances, right. understand the elections, and see that good candidates run. Congress overall is very supportive. You saw the vote of 424 to zero. You see the votes on, on the aid to Israel, very supportive. So Congress remains, well, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be diverted. We have to support our friends. We have to build them up. I would, you know, take away the media attention from, from the extremists. Unfortunately, the media you know, thrives on it, uh, and and uh, you know lives in it, uh, and it's a, it's a way for them to express their opposition to the administration and other things, and to, but if they're really concerned about the movement towards extremism and divisiveness in society, then they should be concerned, and not be be building up these figures. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I I would assume the apology, quote unquote, irritated you. Me- meaning it, it probably would have been better in the long run if she would have stayed honest and, and not tried to make believe that she's really not an anti-Semite. You get what I'm saying? That better to, better, 
I mean, I, I just think it's better for her to be honest and, and let us know where she really stands on these issues and then offer a quote-unquote apology that doesn't really seem like an apology. That, that, that is actually a legitimate debate point that is often asked, do we, do we want anti-Semites under the rocks or, or under the, Exposed, the, the right. healing power of, of sunlight so the world sees who they are and what they are? Right. I don't think people generally will elect extremists or haters or bigots. They attract support. And when, if they're anti-Israel, you know, they get a lot of money. They get support from the individuals, and people can look at the record of, of the support that um, uh, some of these candidates got. Right. But, but you know, it, once it becomes commonplace, once it becomes accepted, we see the swastikas now appearing in, in, on campuses and other places. Once these things become accepted and you say, well, it's better that we see what they're doing. No, I want them to stop doing it. I want the universities, I want everybody put a stop to it. I want law enforcement, prosecute, go after the people responsible. It, it's not just a question of freedom of expression. If somebody wants to criticize a policy of Israel, they should be free, free to do it. That, right. That's, you know, when they attack the ACLU and all of them attacking the anti-BDS legislation, they do it under the guise that it's freedom of speech. It's not. It doesn't say anywhere in any of these laws that if somebody can't say, I, I criticize Israel, I hate Israel, whatever. What it talks about is corporations and others who engage in systemic uh, uh, process of boycotts and discriminatory practices. Well, that's not the same thing as what they're talking about, but most of them don't know. And it became a rubric then to rally support and then to reach out to others and say, well, do you believe in free speech? You say, yes. Yeah. So, and there'll be a couple of the laws in the states that maybe go too far, so they'll be amended. But, but uh, you know, if a judge decides that right. it, it, it impinges in some way. Right. But that's nothing to do with the federal legislation, and it's not the reason why they, they oppose BDS. They oppose the, the anti-BDS uh, measures because they support it. They support efforts to de- demonize and delegitimize the state of Israel, and in many cases, openly, the Jewish people, not just clandestinely. Well said. I hope everybody listening uh, internalizes that. By the way, I mean, look, it's obvious that, you know, as much as all of us want to respond and take an active role in uh, in in, um, in in writing and in, uh, in voicing our opinion on these issues, obviously for the people of Minnesota, uh, you know, in Omar's case, or the people in Michigan in Tlaib's case, uh, obviously, their input is greater, but nonetheless, you would not discourage anybody around this country from calling their office to discuss and to express their concern about their comments, what we think of their apology, etc. You would, you would not discourage that at all, correct? And more than that, of course, correct. But more than that, to also call members of Congress, uh, our friends and others, and say to them, "What have you said about this?" Right. Where, where, where's your public statement? And to express support and to show our friends, um, you know, the first one that uh, what's the name? Oh, I see, uh, attacked was Hakeem Jeffries, the highest ranking black in Congress, a uh, friend of ours, a member, uh, represents a Jewish, a large, a significantly Jewish district in which I live in, in Brooklyn, uh, a very intelligent guy. It's, nobody votes 100% does everything we want, and, and that's not the test. But to, that it's important for us to show that we will stand with the good guys, a guy like Steny Hoyer, who came out right, forthrightly all along, and many others who, who did issue, say the right things, and, and um, uh, responded immediately. They should, they should be supported and, and not just build up and attack the bad guys, but build up the good guys. Yeah, no question about it. Now, let me ask you a question. 
you're in Israel. I would assume at some point, uh, you know, over the last few days, you've seen or spoken to the prime minister. He knows the United States probably better than most Israelis. Does he say to you, uh, Malcolm, you see what's going on in your country over there? You know, it, 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 things aren't as rosy for our community as it used to be. Is, is he taking notice and, and giving warnings to American Jewish leadership about what's happening over here? Well, it's actually something we have warned him about for a long time. And um, I think he's very sensitive to it. I don't know if you saw a Victor Lieberman uh, comment about um, the, uh, a warning to American and European Jews to say, listen, you know, you see where your future is, the, the rise of 60% increase of anti-Semitic attacks in uh, Germany, 74% in France, if I remember correctly, and uh, in England, a significant increase. And then he came under criticism, so some from American sources, for saying it. And and uh, I think Netanyahu, who did not echo it in that direct fashion, but but is looking at this as there are many Israeli leaders uh, and are concerned about the direction, both in terms of support of Israel, but also the security and safety of the Jewish community. It's a subject we'll be discussing during the days ahead. The prime minister will be speaking to us on Monday and the president. And we also have the heads of the major parties. And I think this is a theme that, that many of them will express and turn up, talk about the anti-Semitism. They, of course, blame each other for for any of the problems that exist, but that's the nature of Israeli politics. Um, and the, the uh, but But absolutely, this is a frontline issue, and we'll be discussing it in in various format forums uh, through the days as we as we look at the issues both locally, regionally, globally, and uh, and specifically the Jewish agenda. Malcolm, you can leave this as a yes or no answer if you wish, and publicly, I have a feeling you will. Uh, were you were you did you get into discussions, or were you informed in Ethiopia about any Israeli citizens who might be held in Ethiopian prisons? Well, first of all, we have been very involved with, with Menashe Levy's case for a long time. Uh, as I said, we only transit, uh, transferred oh, right. in, Sorry. in right. Ethiopia. Right. Sorry. Uh, but, but we have been in touch with them for a long time, and um, our hope is that something will come of it, and, and we, we were working on it uh, for years, and I've been in touch with Ethiopian officials about it, and have, so have many, many others, the government of Israel, kind of ready some of the reports has been involved because I know they've they've uh, been present where this has been discussed with them and uh, it's it's uh, tragic as our we have several cases right now in different parts of the world of people who are being held but you know many cases it's it's imperative to keep it um, quiet so you don't lock the governments into taking public positions right. which may be harder and and more difficult to to reverse or to find ways around Many times, I can tell you, we have resolved such sensitive issues by doing it quietly, and, um, and and that doesn't mean we don't use public pressure. The American government has intervened. Uh, many others, as members of the Senate, have intervened. It's it's a tragedy that uh, what uh, he's been going through, and you can imagine what life in an Ethiopian prison must be like. That yep. we will continue to to do it. Appreciate that, and certainly appreciate the answer. Um, uh, finally, you have a big week ahead. You, you you will be in your in the group. The conference of presidents will be meeting with, you know, as I said earlier, anybody and everybody in the political world in Israel, and certainly uh, current government members. Um, <laughs> with with everybody, I assume on the campaign trail, 
Is this the one year where they wish they didn't have to spend some time with Americans because they they know how valuable all this campaign time is as the election is looming? But it's also a platform, and uh, we, we set up a system where we give them a half an hour. Most cases, they get interviewed by a journalist, just one-on-one, and then take questions from our leadership. Uh, we try to do it in an interesting way, but we have, uh, you know, one after another, and then some others, in be- other people in between to break it up. But, the, you know, I think that they welcome the platform because they do believe in American jury in particular and world jury are – um, you know, the government of Israel has responsibilities, ties uh, to them right. and they to the to Israel. And so they respect the, the form. They work with us during the year and we have communication with them, uh, with the leadership in the, across the board. And and this is an opportunity for them, and, but also for many other people, the head of the space agency, the head of the, of the innovation authority, the um, the mayor, the new mayor of Jerusalem, and the whole Jerusalem City Council. And we go to Harazet, and we're doing a strategic tour of Jerusalem to see some of the most sensitive new issues that are not even public yet. Um, and uh, we're going down south, and we're we're going to devote the Air Force Base and to uh, ending in Beersheba with a big dinner at the. Lauder Center, but the the um, day is going to be spent. We're going to visit one of the terror tunnels to really understand what what do they mean, what do they, how do what goes into them, and I mean we'll be spending a, a day with the IDF and with top officials briefing and explaining the threats that exist both north and south. So the the it's such a wide variety of things that take place. Uh, whether it's on BDS and, and anti-Semitism, and, and we have such a panoply of issues. The question is how you get it all in, and a session to analyzing the election and what the real trends, what's going on behind the scenes in, in the campaigns. Amazing. Uh, this has been a great weekly update. Greatly appreciated. Um, next week, next week uh, in Chutzlaretz or still in Jerusalem? No, next week at home here in Israel. Nice. All right. We look forward to it again. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. God willing. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. If you tuned in late to this one, folks, make sure to hear the archive. Make sure. Uh, and Although, <laughs> by the way, things look on our back end. I think almost everybody in the, on the globe is tuned in at this point. Uh, but if you missed anything at the beginning, I'm telling you, uh, this was a fascinating weekly update. Malcolm Holmline from Jerusalem. J.M. and the M. Friday on this Arab Shabbos Parshas at Sava. Candlelighting at 510 in New York. 510 is candlelighting time. Monday is President's Day. We're here. Tuesday is Purim Katan. We are here. Yeshiva University basketball. 17 in a row for the men. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. 17 in a row. It was great being there last night. Be there Saturday night, everyone. Tomorrow night is senior night. Tomorrow night is senior night. Come on out and support the uh, incredible Yeshua University Maccabees. Big game tomorrow night. Then another game on Monday night. And the playoff game is Friday, one week from today at 12 noon. One week from today at 12 noon. Who, who in the world of Jewish education will find it worthy enough to give their students off from school Next Friday to go and support the Yeshiva University basketball team. I wonder. I wonder. Um, let's see what happens. Uh, I want to take this opportunity not only to uh, 
wish a mazel tov to the men's basketball team, but I remind everybody that last night, senior forward Michal Algi broke the university's women's basketball all-time scoring record with a career total of 1,141 points to date. Michal, mazel tov to you. She's had a history-making season, becoming the first player in program history to enter the 1,000-point, 1,000-rebound club. She broke Daniela Epstein's 2003 scoring mark, uh, the scoring mark that was set in 2003, and she was named to the Skyline Conference Weekly Honor Roll four times, most recently at the end of January. So, Michal, mazel tov to you. The Lady Max, the men Maccabees, everyone doing great, representing us well on the court. And off the court, just amazing. Want to take this opportunity to thank two very special listeners, B and Ralph Rosenbaum down in East Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, B's mom passed away last week, and they have uh, they have donated to the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting a one thousand dollar donation in memory of Eva Friedfertig, an Asius Heil who represented the goodness of all of our mothers. She will be sorely missed. Thank you to B and to Ralph to the Rosenbaum family and the extended Rosenbaum family. And uh, originally, uh, Ralph had said that this contribution would be in honor of us doing what we do, bringing the Jewish community closer together. So, uh, And then, of course, it was changed to a dedication in honor of Eva. Um, but we take great pride in uh, what uh, Ralph and B and the Rosenbaums have always said, and that is that JMNAM and the Nachum Siegel Network continue to bring Jewish people together. And we thank them so much for the very, very generous donation. Those of you out there who want to support our efforts, go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Be as generous as you can. Sponsor in honor and memory of whomever you wish, and we thank you. Candlelighting at 510 later on here in the New York area. It's a Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. And um, I want to remind everybody that on the 7th of April, on the 7th of April, the 50th anniversary tribute dinner at the Atrium Ballroom in honor of Rabbi Benjamin and Rebetzin Shevi Yudin. 50 years of dynamic leadership at Shomri Torah in Fairlawn and really around the world, including here at JMNAM. If you're not able to make it to the dinner, certainly go to the website and make a generous donation to the tribute. It's yudintribute.org, yudintribute.org. Hope to see everybody there up at the atrium on April the 7th. This time each every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pashas Titzaveh. According to the Chinuch, Pashas Titzaveh contains seven mitzvos, four positive, and three restrictions. Interestingly, the Torah devotes in this parsha, in Perek Chaf Ches, in chapter 28, no less than 43 psukim devoted to the begadim, the garments of the Kohanim. And this is what I'd like to focus on this morning. Now, if you think about it, every day brings us one day closer to the third Beis HaMikdash. We end every Tefillah, Sheyabonah, Beis HaMikdash, Bimhei Rabbi Amenu, that we ask Hashem to please rebuild the third Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, it is with a sense 
of excitement that we read and study these parashios, dealing with the Mishkan, eagerly awaiting and anticipating what will occur. And it's very interesting that the Sefer HaChinuch, when he talks about these seven mitzvos in Tetzaveh, he follows his Rebbe, the Rambam. He never saw the Rambam. He lived a few hundred years after. But he follows the Rambam's count as to what is and what is not included in the Minyan mitzvos. And so, therefore, he follows his Rebbe, the Rambam, and lists the donning, the wearing of the special Big Day Kahuna, the garments that were worn by the Kohanim, as a mitzvah. The Ramban, however, disagrees, and he goes with the Balalochos Gedolos, who considers the Big Day Kahuna not an actual mitzvah, but a Heksha mitzvah. Heksha mitzvah means a necessary prerequisite and component for the performance of the Avodah, the service in the Mikdash, but not necessarily it of itself an independent mitzvah. Now, a regular Kohen had to wear four begadim, four garments. He wore a ksones, a shirt, michnosayim, pants, migbaas, a turban, and an avnate, a belt. In addition, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, wore four additional garments, each of which contained gold. Now, what is most interesting and perplexing to me is that the avnate, the belt of the Kohen, contained shatnes, namely wool and linen together. And for this reason, interestingly, to the Rambam, as soon as the Kohen completed his avodah, his service in the Mikdash, he had to remove his begadim, the garments, as the permissibility to wear shatnes was only for the actual time of the Avodah. And I'd like to suggest a possibility as to why the Kohen had to wear and incorporate Shatnes as part of his service in the Beis Hamigdash. The prohibition of Shatnes is found in Devarim in chapter 22, Pasuk 11, whereby the Torah says, Lo silbash shatnes, tzemer upishtim yachtov. You shall not wear combined fibers, wool and linen together. Now, this is most certainly a chok. Chok is a law without a reason. Proof in Vayikra, in Pasha's Kedoshim, easy to remember, Chapter 19, Pesach 19, the Torah introduces the Pesach by saying, Eschukosai Tishmoru, you shall observe my decrees. And then it goes on to list different chukim. They happen to be related in nature. One, Behemtecha losar kelayim, you shall not mate your animal into another species. Sodecha losizra kelayim, you shall not plant your field 
with mixed seed. And the third one, Ubeged Kilayim Shatnez, a mixture, a garment that is a mixture of both fibers, combined fibers, as we know from later on, Tzemer Upishtim, wool and linen, shall not come upon you. So the Torah clearly calls the prohibition of Shatnez a chok, a law without a reason. Now, while the Torah does not provide a reason for this law, the Rambam, at the end of Hilchos Temura, in chapter 4, Halacha Yud Gimel writes, Afal Shekol Chukei HaTorah Gezeiroseim, even though the Chukim of our Torah are laws which emanate from God beyond human comprehension, as he wrote at the end of the laws of Meila, it is fitting and proper to literally give much thought and attention to them. And any proper kind of attributing a reason and understanding to them Tain lo tam. Please, says the Rambam, give some kind of an explanation. And therefore, with this Rambam in the back of our minds, I'd like to share with you an exciting Medrash Tanchuma found in Bereshis 9.9, which teaches that the source of the prohibition of Shatnes indeed comes from the encounter of Cain and Hevel. The Torah teaches in the beginning of Perik Dalid in Bereshis that Vayihi Achar HaYomim Miketz, excuse me, Vayihi Miketz Yomim, and it was literally and what do the words mean? Miketz Yomim. Art Scroll translates after a period of time. And the Medrash Tanchuma suggests that this period of time was 40 years and that Cain and Hevel were 40 when they each brought an offering to God. Cain brings an offering to Hashem, Mipri Ho'adama, of the fruit of the ground. And the Medrash continues to cite the rabbis who understood that Cain's offering to be that of flax, linen. And the Pusser continues to say, the Hevel, Hevigamhu, Hevel also brought Mibchoros Tsono. From the firstlings of his flock, from the choicest, and clearly on the back of the sheep was the wool. And therefore, the Medrash Tanchuma continues, and I quote his very powerful Lashon. The Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God said, Enodin, it's not proper, she is orev 
Minchas Hachote in Minchas Hazakai. Cain, we know, kills Hevel due to the jealousy of Hashem accepting his brother's korban and not his own. So Cain, who brought Miprio Adama, which is from that which was of poor nature. Mipri is understood from that which is, quote, left over. Namely, in this case here, on the low end of the spectrum, in terms of value, he brings pishtan, flax, as opposed, and he is the sinner, as opposed to Hevel, who brings the wool, and he is the righteous one, Hashem says it's not proper that the two should commingle. The Fichach says the Tanchuma Ne'esar. Hence, the prohibition of Shatnes. Now, it's interesting to note that every Friday night after Sholem Aleichem, we honor the woman of the household with the singing, the saying of Eshes Chayil. And the fourth line of Eshes Chayil, which comes from the last chapter of Proverbs of Mishlei, it happens to be Pasuk Yud Gimel, quote, Dorsha Tzemer Upishtim. And I ask all the men who are listening, what might that mean when you say that your wife is able to seek out wool and linen? However, with the above Tanchuma, what you are doing tonight is that you are praising her for her ability to differentiate between the wool, which is symbolic of the good, Hevel, and linen, which is symbolic of the bad, Kayin. Her her greater insight and intuition, her sharing this wonderful insight with children, family, and overall tone of the household is what you are praising for tonight. And please, God, many more good years in good health. So, if now we understand a little bit more as to why there is the prohibition of shatnes to begin with, well, let's ask the obvious question. Why must the Kohen wear shatnes? And perhaps it's to help us realize the specialty of the Beis Amikdash, which is in a realm above us. Namely, we live, teaches the Maral, in his commentary on Ovos Terachachayim, in chapter 1, Mishnah Yudbeis, we live in the Alma de Preda, in a world of separation. The Maral gives the example of Cain killing Hevel to mark the beginning of the world representing this Preda, the divisiveness that's in the world. In our world, there's a separation of Jew and non-Jew. Too much emphasis is placed upon the divisions between us. Ashkenaz and Sfard, Chosid, Misnagid, observant and not yet. The Beis HaMikdash is the ultimate Ma'achid. It's the ultimate 
unifier. Yerushalayim, when David extols it in Tilim 122, Yerushalayim, which is an extension of the Migdash, is described by David HaMelech as Ir Shechubralah Yachtov. The built-up Yerushalayim is like a city that is unified together. Moreover, when Yaakov awakens from his majestic dream of the ladder, reaching heavenward, what does he proclaim in Bereshit 28.17? Vizer Shar HaShamayim. This is the gate of the heavens. The Beis Amigdash connected heaven and earth. And therefore, Shlomo HaMelech, in his Thanksgiving address at the occasion of the dedication of the first base on Migdash, in the first book of Malachim, chapter 8, speaks of Jew and non-Jew turning to this house, the Beis HaMikdosh, to offer prayers. The Beis HaMikdosh is that opportunity of connecting with Hashem and gleaning a portent of what will be in the future. At that time, the world will be elevated to a higher level of achtus unification. The Kohen, who blesses the people with love, unifies not only the nation of Israel, but the different spheres, including animal and vegetable that exist, including animal slash wool, vegetable slash the flax, the linen that exist. These different realms, even as they appear metaphysically in an oppositional state opposing one another, these two, T-O-O, also these realms he unites. Thus, the Kohen's wearing of Shatnes is to reflect the future harmonious existence that will not only elevate man, but nature as well. And therefore, perhaps, as we pray thrice daily for the rebuilding of the Beis Hamikdash, we can each in our own way gradually work on removing the barriers that exist between ourselves. On the verse in Shira Shirim, how lovely, chapter 7, of 2, how lovely are your footsteps, shod in pilgrim sandals, O daughter of nobles, is understood by the Talmud Chagiga, 3a, to portray the ultimate unity of all Jews ascending to the Beis Migdosh to celebrate the three pilgrim festivals. There'll not be a Sfard or Ashkenaz Beis Migdosh, nor a Hasidish or Litvish, or one for the observant or not yet observant Jews. We shall therefore now attempt to intentionally visit, experience the flavor and teachings of those other religious circles, become familiar at least with the teachings of Rav Nachman of Breslov or the Alter Rebbe and other groups. It's not only Mikol Malam Dayaskalti, from all my teachers I grew wise, but there's much to learn and grow from other Jews. And moreover, the social interaction, respect, and most of all recognition is an important first step. 
instead of the sad, humorous lesson of the Jew stranded on a desert island who builds two shuls, and you'll ask him, why two? And he'll answer, this is the one I daven in, and this one not. Oy, oy, oy. We should feel comfortable in all but taking a CEOs, preparing us for the elevated time when the Kohen will once again wear the belt of Shatnez, symbolizing the higher world of Achdus, the world of unification and not divisiveness. Shabbat Shalom to all. J.M. in the A.M. with Yaakov Shweki. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshas, Tetzave, candlelighting at 510 later on today in the New York area. Make sure you know when things start where you are. President's Day is Monday. We're here. Purim Katan is Tuesday. We're here. We'll be here. Just tune in. That's all you got to (laughs) do. All of you around the world, make sure to tune in.
Getting ready for Shabbos here at JM and the AM means that coming up right after JM and the AM is table for two. Naomi Nachman on between 9 and 10. At 10 a.m., the Erev Shabbos show, which this week has already been playing to real critical acclaim. Mark Zamek is bringing you a whole bunch of great oldies during today's Erev Shabbos show. Tune in. It's brought to you by our friends at Kedem. And we are hearing reaction from a lot of different places about how amazing this show is today. Uh, so the Arab Shabbos show will encore it starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in. It's going to be a good one. That I can tell you. going to be a good one. Uh, coming up at 1 o'clock, the Harry Rothenberg video blog and Parsha's Titzave. Coming up after that, the Arab Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night is Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami. Sunday, Matis with JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in. Your Sunday is now complete because you have an amazing Jewish radio music show to start your day and to start your week. Again, 7 a.m. Eastern time. Matis starts Sunday morning with JM Sunday right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. More coming up. It's Eitan Freilach at JM in the AM.
JM in the AM. That is uh, Yom Zed done by Eitan Freilich here on a Friday morning Erev Shab. It's been an amazing week here at JM in the AM. And I thank all of you. Don't forget, you can sponsor all or part of a JM in the AM broadcast. Do it in memory of somebody, in honor of somebody, etc., etc. Go to fjbunity.org fjbunity.org all the details are there time to say good job is with journeys at jm in the am
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AlchemSingle.com, on the AlchemSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. And I thank you all for commenting on the app and for being part of this amazing listening experience. Have a phenomenal Shabbos, wonderful weekend, everybody. Monday, we're back. It's a legal holiday, but we are here between 6 and 9 a.m. Make sure to be tuned in. Naomi Nachman is next, followed by Mark Zomik and an amazing Arab Shabbos show brought to you by Kedem. Coming up uh, tomorrow night, of course, Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami. Matis with JM Sunday starts 7 a.m. Eastern time here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.